Welcome to the next edition of Supply Chain Next, and I am just thrilled um, to uh, uh, have Rob Hanfield on, um, uh, who is the Bank of America University Distinguished Professor of Supply Chain Management at North Carolina State University, Poole College of Management. And um, just by way of uh, uh, putting it out there, this is the first time we've actually spoken on our podcast today, so I'm really looking forward to the conversation. Welcome, welcome, Rob. It's a pleasure to be here, Richard. Thank you so much for uh, inviting me to your podcast today. Oh, well, really appreciate you taking the time and jumping on with us. I mean, there's just so much going on. I know you're super, like all of us are super busy. Um, and, and even in the, before recording this, I just tell everyone, I mean, we were sitting here chatting and there was so much good stuff already in the first five minutes of chatting with you. <laughs> I, had, I had to hit record. I'm like, oh my God, this is, this is really good stuff. So, um, just, just, just kind of set the stage here as we're at the beginning. Um, would love to just open a little bit of the convo with just a little bit about yourself or you know, whatever and kind of you know, what, what got you into supply chain and your background and kind of where you're at and, and just give people an overview of who you are. Yeah. So, you know, um, yeah, my background, you know, I, I grew up in, in uh, Calgary, Alberta. I'm, I'm Canadian originally. Uh, you know, didn't know I would ever end up working in, in supply chain management. I, I was a uh, you know, stat and a math major in undergrad and, and ended up going to um, UNC Chapel Hill and, and work on a PhD focused on more sort of operations research. But as I got into that, I was much more attracted to, you know, what was going on in the field. And so I spent a lot of time studying how uh, supply chains operate and how purchasing especially operates. Um, from there, I, I went to uh, Michigan State and um, in Michigan State, you know, I learned a, a lot about what was going on in industry just by hanging around uh, a lot of executives. You know, Bob Monska used to have these big um, executive workshops with like 100 uh, procurement uh, man, uh, executives there. And, you know, I'd go out drinking with these guys and talking to them and, and just picking up on everything that was going on. And, and I realized, you know, I, there's so much I can learn. This whole area is so open. Uh, and this was back in the 90s, right? And so when I came to NC State in, uh, in 2000, uh, I started up a center. I said, there's nothing here now. Uh, let's start up a center and let's find a way to get students to learn by working with uh, executives. Because that's how I learned. And I said, gosh, this is a great way for students to, you know, drop them off, throw them into a project, throw them into an industry they've never worked in and, and study and, and solve a problem in their supply chain. And, and that literally took off and 20 years later, you know, we're doing 20 to 25 projects every semester with different companies, different sectors. We you know, work with advanced auto parts, with MetLife, with, with Gilead Science, with Biogen, um, with American Red Cross. And, um, and I, I love it because as, you know, as a teacher, I'm not teaching the same stuff. Every semester is different. Every semester we're learning about different problems and different issues. And, uh, you know, as a result, I, I, I get exposed to a lot of really interesting problems and issues that people are facing within in supply chain every day. Uh, 30 years later, I'm still learning, you know. Well, I think the whole industry is learning. And, and, and what a fascinating, like you, you, you literally kind of went in to school long before it became trendy, right? Um, and jumped into supply chain. And in the early 90s, it was still kind of in its infancy, quite frankly. Um, yeah. You know, what, what, what did you see then versus what you're seeing now? I mean, I know it's a big difference and we're going to get into some of the COVID stuff, but before we even got to COVID, what was going on in supply chain in the early 90s versus just coming into the, you know, 2020s? 
Well, you know, I think one of the biggest changes I saw is, is you know, is I, I would I would go to these meetings of uh, executives and the time was called the National Association of Purchasing Management. And, you know, the, the biggest thing then was it was sort of buyers who was there. And buyers, the, the one thing that procurement was doing is they're buying stuff cheaper. You know, it's like how to beat up your supplier, how to negotiate, how to get a better deal. And, you know, the salespeople were teaching the same thing, how to get around procurement. Um, so, you know, one of the things that we observed then, and we wrote a book in, in the 90s called Introduction to Supply Chain. So you said, look, supply chain is certainly about moving the material and cost is important, but it's also about information sharing and about the relationship. And, you know, the relationship, I think, is one of the most important pieces in supply chains. Um, and, and that's something that, you know, a lot of, a lot of people don't get. And, and even today, we're seeing that behavior of let's just buy it cheaper. Uh, let's, let's go anywhere in the world that we have to. But, oh, my gosh, wait a second. If we can't get it when there's an emergency, well, maybe it wasn't that cheap, you know, and maybe, maybe the losses that we're getting, uh, the nickels and dimes that we saved aren't worth it in the long run when we look at uh, the risk issues that are impacted. Uh, and maybe we should be thinking about how to, how to build stronger relationships with those key suppliers that are going to be around when we really need them to be. And so, so, so the relationships, I mean, that's, that's one that oftentimes people talk about, but also the emphasis on purchasing, right, versus the totality of the supply chain. And where I'm kind of leading into in a little bit of a, 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 a you know, a, a, I'll call it the free pitch here on your book uh, that I just got, I haven't read it yet, full disclosure, but uh, is the living supply chain. Right. And just in the early introductions and reading into it, you really start to get into what, what I love is the technology infusion, the technology revolution, and then really thinking about the full supply chain. So, you know, what, what changed in that early on where you were kind of focused and, and, and totally agreed. I mean, everyone says the same thing, right? I mean, you know, supply chain has always been kind of synonymous with procurement when it's a much bigger element. There's, there's, there's right. operations and there's disposition, which people leave out the buy, manage, sell uh, kind of equation, right? Um, and I'm wondering then through living supply chains, as you wrote that book, if that's what you were kind of thinking about broadening the aperture to the you know, beginning and true end of supply chain um, as a business within the business. And then how was technology going to come in and start kind of shaping that? Because you were very prophetic. I mean, you know, from the early parts of what I've read in the book, like you're laying the blueprint for what people are talking about and searching for now. And we'll, we'll get to that, but, but, you know, help me with kind of like the progression that you got through. Yeah. So, so, so the book living supply chain, you know, was, it was really interesting because I, I had flown out there. I was, I was doing a site visit at Nike in Portland and on the way I said, you know, I'm gonna, Tom Linton who, who co-wrote the book with me was the chief supply officer at, at flex. He said, Hey, come on out to, and see what we're doing out here at flex. And, and most people have never heard of Flex. You know, Flex is the biggest company you've never heard of. They're, they're a contract manufacturer. They have 120 factories worldwide. They produce stuff for, for Nike, for, uh, for Apple, for Intel, you know, for GE, you name it. Um, and, and essentially, they run supply chains. That's what they do. And Tom said, well, he was just down the road from you, you know, in San Jose. He said, let's come on down here and check out what we're doing with this thing that we call the pulse. Right? So, okay, I got my curiosity up. I'll, I'll, I'm going out West. I'll, I'll fly and take a look. He takes me into this room. It's a room full of television screens. And on every television screen, there's, there's pictures of inventory of material 
uh, that's moving. And, it's, and you can push and you can drill down on the screen and see what's going on. And literally, he had put his entire supply chain on these what they call control towers with, with graphical visualization. Hmm. And it was all in real time. And so, so would you say that, now, sorry, sorry to jump in, can I ask a quick question on that one? So, so at that point, fascinating piece there, did you see kind of the digital twin emerging in that sense from the assets themselves? Or was it still kind of the system with sort of, you know, some proxy for this thing moving through the system? Well, the, it was sort of a partial digital twin because what you could also do is you could do what if scenarios with it, right? You could look at the data and you could say, okay, what happens if, you know, the price, you know, the lead times on semiconductors goes from 12 weeks to 16 weeks. What is that going to do to our production? What impact, what's going to be impacted? But what it also allowed them to do was, you know, in control towers, you think, well, only the top, the top bosses get to see it. They would take this information, they would blow it out to people's mobile phones, right? So now everybody in the field could see what was going on in real time on their supply chain on their mobile phone. Wow. And that just kind of blew my mind. You know, at yeah. that point, I'm like, <sighs> and this was when? This was, uh, this was in 2016, 2017. Wow. And I said, to Tom, we got to write about this because this, this changes everything for me. You know, when you can actually start to visualize and see real data that's going on in real time, um, you know, it's, it's incredible. And people are saying, well, gosh, you know, we don't have the investment to do that. You know, they pulled this thing together in six months for probably less than half a million dollars. Wow. You know, and it's, it's, it, it's really about changing the mindset around what data do we need? You don't need all the data. Not all data has to go first class, but what data do you need to make decisions? And you want to put the data in the hands of the right people who have to make the right decisions in real time at the right time. And then that enables the collaboration, the problem solving, the decision making that has to happen when stuff goes wrong. Because there's always stuff going wrong in supply chains. Yep. And so how did, and so that, oh, so that was kind of the primer to the book, right? And then right. you get into the book, which is really about, you know, in essence, just kind of detailing your experience and seeing the flex kind of foresight in building this. Um, but then imagining it now for all supply chains. Well, that's right. And, and the book is, uh, I mean, to be honest, if you read it, it's kind of flaky. It's not, not a typical supply chain <laughs> book, right? I don't and, know if that's the right selling feature to your well, book. You know, the living, we came up with this acronym, the living supply chain. Living is live, integrated, um, velocity, um, uh, intelligent, networked, and good, right? Okay. So the idea is, is if you have this ability to see what's happening in real time, you can act more quickly. So velocity and visibility are, are intimately connected. You can't manage what you can't see. So you have to be able to see what's happening in your supply chain, and that increases the velocity of decision-making which increases the velocity of material. And uh, what we found is, is you know, a lot of the, the, the guidelines or the principles we were talking uh, were very much aligned with kind of the rules of nature. Uh, and, and there was, a, there was a, a book called The Serengeti Rules. Uh, actually, they did a, a, a show on nature on it. And it showed that, you know, if you looked at the patterns of nature, of, of how, uh, you know, things on the Serengeti, how animals behaved, uh, how ecologies and ecosystems evolved, a lot of those things were, were also directly in parallel with what's happening in supply chains. So, so as you got this visibility, um, you could actually start to see the natural flow of what's going on in these supply chains, and you could predict what was going to happen, and you could react more quickly to it. And so the, the technology and the evolutionary piece 
really kind of came together in that book. And, and so the term we started to use and I'll just float it by here is value web, right? And I think there's sort of this evolution to go from a supply chain to an interconnected everything that yep. allows you transparency from you know, raw materials all the way through multiple dispositions until you get into recycle and reuse, right? But that right. connected platform, to your point, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a direct correlation to the a participation rate of that platform and then also the value of that platform. Uh, this actually goes to the whole uh, book platform revolution, right? Um, right. And, and I think that's also a, a key piece here to understand is that, well, Flex did it for themselves and they're ginormous, right? Um, you know, and businesses can do this on their own. But, but you know, when you look at this, this kind of technology implementation, especially in today's world and today's environment, here we are in 2020, how do you look at the options that exist or don't exist for these companies? It's one thing to say, you got to digitize, you got to go kind of put this and create this transparency. I think everyone's in agreement on that one. And then we get to the practical steps of, okay, where do I even start? Right. right. How, how do you, how do you kind of talk to people about that? Well, you know, I, I think you got to start with the data, right? And the problem in most organizations in 99% of organizations is their data sucks. You know, there's, right. it's true, right? It's okay. And it's okay to say that. That's the other thing, right? I mean, it's like, you got to come in and like, Hey, I'm a, I'm a supply chain data guy and it sucks. You know, my name's Richard. Hi, Richard. It all, it all sucks. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's terrible. Right. The quality, the timeliness, right. you know, we, we do an annual survey on data governance that we published with IBM this year. And, and, you know, companies, it, it takes the average manager, you know, a uh, couple hours every day just to find the data they need to do their job. It's all over the place, and yep. it's and when they get it, they got to clean it. They got to put it in Excel, you know. They got to they got to put it into a PowerPoint so that people they can show it to people. You know, it's it's a whole data cleansing issue. Um, but if you have good data, if you have trusted data, and you can pull it into a data lake and you can use it, then your data uh, analysis is push of a button. We don't have to wait for the quarterly report. We push a button. We see what's going on right now at right. this very minute based on what's happening in that factory. Right, and, right. And you pull it up on your iPhone and you can and you can see what's going on at that very moment. So how did that, how did that, let me, let me kind of close the gap here to where we are within COVID. So you're kind of about 2017, the book gets published. I'm assuming you're writing it for a couple of years beforehand. You kind of get it out there, probably weave in some of this technology kind of stuff for three years. And, and like I said, I, 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 you know, that's about the time, same time we started, right? Uh, just not, Coincidentally, and I think others are starting as well too. And and I think there was a palpable uh, groundswell starting to happen pre 2020, where from 2017, 16-ish time frame, for those three four years, just up until COVID, supply chain was gaining momentum. It was like the last lever within the enterprise to really be optimized. It was the biggest lever that everyone had avoided. You know, technology, yes, we need to do it. Everything's manual, data's crappy and stuff like that. So how, how did that kind of alter both, you know, maybe your education, your curriculum, even your consulting, like up until you brought, got to COVID? So, you know, I think what we were doing, um, you know, almost all of the student projects that we work on now are, are related to analytics. And um, mm. analytics is, is key. And, you know, the issue is that the data tells the story. Um, but you don't just need to, you know, pull the data and, and throw it into a, you know, a, a Tableau or a, or a BI file and, and, and create a bunch of graphs. You have to know what you're looking for. So it's, it's kind of an iterative process of 
you know, having that critical thinking, uh, teaching people to understand where to look for the data, how to look for it, how to develop a hypothesis uh, to try to figure out what you need to be looking for. And, and I think, you know, that's what we're seeing now is there's a lot of discussion around AI and machine-based learning. And we've done projects with that with, with PhD students. And man, that is a grind. You know, uh, MBL is, is, is a grind. It takes mm-hmm. a lot of time. And the key is you have to know sort of what you're looking for. You have to know what keywords you're looking for. You have to, you have to sort of set up the problem in such a way that, that the words, you know, you can start to look for the information. And when you set it up the right way, then the machines can do all the data collection and analysis and show it to you. But ultimately, you know, humans are still in the loop. Yep. Humans still have to pull the trigger and make the decision. What are we going to do with this information? Right. And, and I think that's, that's key. And, and machines can learn from that. But we're really in the early, early stages of that human-machine interaction mm-hmm. uh, around, around all this data that's being used today. Well, I think that's kind I, of I, where I, we were before, before COVID. Yeah. And, and so, I, you know, what, as you were talking through that, what you kind of reminded me of is your kind of original analogy of the analog, I'll call it data visualization supply chain, which required finding data, sanitizing it, cleaning it, normalizing it, putting it in Excel, putting it in PowerPoint. And what you're describing now is sort of an evolved version where it's now I got to identify the data that I'm going after. I got to figure out, is that data clean? I got to make sure it's sanitized. I got to then kind of aim it at a machine learning or AI or whatever you want to call it. And it's a lot of work, right? You know, a lot of work for not not today and today, not a huge return, but underneath it all, if the data itself, if you had, if you had accuracy, like 99.99% data accuracy, then machine learning and AI could go gangbusters. Right. Right. right? And, 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 you know, it's, it's, and then you can also get the data uh, closer and much closer to the time when you need to make it. Right. You know, the analogy we use is, uh, you know, driving a, a car down the street, you need, you know, three or four pieces of information. You need to know, you know, your speed, you need to know whether your gas tank is full. And, and then, you know, you need occasionally these warning indicators like, you know, your oil pressure is low. Right. Um, you don't need to know the exact oil pressure at that exact moment in time. You only need to know when it's low. And, and you need to know how fast you're going so you don't get a, a ticket from the cop, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, right. so, you know, that's the kind of information. We need to decide what information we need to run our supply chains and, and make that available to people uh, so that they can they can operate their those those vehicles. It's a great it's a great analogy. Let me let me let me kind of bring us now into sort of the current environment, right? I mean, everything's COVID, um, of course, uh, and you know, checked in and make sure everyone's good and healthy and safe here. So that's all good. Um, but let's talk about the impact that COVID's had on on just kind of the working models that you were you know engaged in, whether it was digitization, this transformation that was happening. I mean from the moment sort of COVID hit here to where we are today, like what's the direct impact currently to supply chain that COVID's had? And then we can talk a little bit about what you think the future is going to be, but what, what, what do you think COVID's really done to supply chain right now? Well, I, I think, you know, COVID number one is, has escalated supply chain to the, to the front of the news and uh, everyone, and I'm not going to get into the politics on this, this podcast, but, you know, I think everyone can agree that, you know, it's become a political issue and it isn't a, uh, it's not an issue issue. Mm. And, um, you know, one of the problems I think is there, there was not a good response. Um, I wrote, I wrote a, a research report in 2011 for IBM saying, how should the federal government prepare for the next pandemic? Mm. Well, 
I think it probably gathered a lot of dust. I don't think right. people read it. Right. And, and uh, you know, and that's unfortunate. But, you know, the, the position that, that I, I think, and I'm going to say something which may sound a little controversial, um, uh, but, you know, and, and this is coming up in our next book uh, that Tom and I are working on, is, is I think that there's, a, you know, COVID was destined to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were already moving in a direction, it, you know, with the, with the tariffs and the trade wars, towards, you know, pulling away from globalization. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think COVID is, is something which is really going to, you know, firmly put us in that position where we're going to move much more to localized platforms. Mm-hmm. And uh, the idea we're promoting in this in our next book is the idea of supply chain immunity. Oh. Is, you know, we have to have supply chains just like our bodies are immune. You know, we have antibodies that we develop in our body. So when there's an invader, we fight back. Right? We've got to have supply chains that are immune to the kinds of forces that can attack us. Mm-hmm. And how do you do that? Well, you have, to, you have to think through it. You have to have a strategy. You have to, to build up those antibodies. Um, and you, you have to be predictive in nature. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're saying is I think this is a natural flow. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there's a, a guy from Duke that we, we quote a lot in our new book, uh, Adrian Bejan, who wrote The Physics of Life. And he said, you know, life and everything in life is a predictable flow, just like nature. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the way, you know, rivers evolve over time, um, you know, they, they follow a flow. And if we look at the flows of what's happening in supply chains, then this COVID issue was almost destined to happen. Mm-hmm. Right? It, was, it was destined to happen. And we, we were going to come into a position where, you know, this globalization thing, everything was going great, but it's going to change. Right. And, and it, it happened. It changed a lot sooner than everybody thought it would. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And I mean, amazing. <laughs> a that you wrote that paper. I'm gonna have to dig this up and take a look at it. Uh, I, I didn't didn't get that pre 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 podcast here. Um, but but absolutely. I mean, this is the number one supply chain is now top of mind for everybody. People are being interviewed. You know, like yourself, Yossi, like we talked about, Stanton. You know, kind of on the news, right? Everything's about supply chain with food. Everything, right? Food, toilet paper. You know, masks. I mean, right? I mean, everyone's like, oh my god, tell me about the supply chain. Yeah, meat. meat. Right, 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 right. I mean, everything, right? Um, so in one sense, that's a good thing, and it's just it, it, it accelerates the transition that was underway, anyways. I think it just increases the pace at which the change is going to happen to supply chain. So, so in one sense, being here in supply chain right now, even the, in the midst of the chaos of COVID, it's a great place to be, right? Um, and so looking forward now coming out of this, and it's maybe a little bit early to, to tell this from your vantage point, but in preparation for this and thinking this through, like even within your student body curriculum, even the assignments that you're doing, even the advisory work, I mean, how are you thinking now to sort of position people? Because now they're coming in no longer wanting to just have a, a, an academic discussion. You know, this is cool. Right. This is interesting. It's like, no, no, no. I, I, I want to do something now. Like, how does that change your approach in, 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 you know, discussing this with either enterprises or industries or, you know, even your students, like the, the practical application? Right. Well, I, I think, um, you know, short answer, everything is changing. Right. Okay. And I think we're going to be talking about a pre-COVID and a post-COVID world. I think a post-COVID world is going to be completely different uh, mm-hmm. from a supply chain perspective, but also from a, the way that people work. Yep. Um, number one, I think, uh, you know, we're going to totally rethink our, our, the way we thought about landed cost. Um, you know, the way we thought about it previously was labor costs are less in China, you know, we add on our freight uh, and then maybe there's a duty or a 301 
and uh, our landed cost is still less than probably what we could buy it here. I think what we're going to see in a post-COVID world is people are going to say, wait a second, you know, that, it, that's inventory that's not moving. That's inventory that's stuck on a, on a, on a boat coming across the ocean. Uh, when we really, really need it in an emergency, you know, governments over there will, will you know, stop it from being uh, exported at, at the port. Um, so, so I think people are going to say, look, we may have to, you know, pay a little more for it. Um, and, and maybe what we'll see is, is kind of a more of a pan North America platform where you've got Mexico, the U S and Canada sort of becoming much more closer integrated and, and self-sufficient, um, and, and suppliers starting to be developed in over here as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, that's not going to happen overnight. Right. Um, you know, as much as the government says, well, you know, we, we want local manufacturers and we're going to pass bills to, and, and laws to, to mandate that, that, that manufacturers produce here. Um, you know, the fact is you can't move entire industries. You know, we've, there's a great example. There's, there's four manufacturers of brake pads that produce 80% of the brake pads in all the world. Right. And those four suppliers are in a single province in China, yeah. right? So where are you going to get brake pads if you don't get them from China? Right. Who's right? going to start producing them? There's, there's equipment, there's technology, there's, there's, there's know-how. And, you know, we don't necessarily have the people to make the stuff here. Um, so even though there's, there's, you know, incredible uh, massive unemployment. So, so if we are going to start to reshore things, we, we've got to be very uh, clear about how we do that. And I think we have to rethink ourselves as being sort of globally independent. And I won't say just, you know, I don't want to be like, you know, it's not about being national, right? right? It's not just saying we want to isolate ourselves from the rest of the world and, and have our own little bubble of where we produce all our own stuff. We're always going to be a global supply chain, but we have to rethink, you know, our relationships uh, comes back to that relationships piece comes back to uh, understanding costs, understanding how we contract, understand how we position inventory in our supply chains. All of that's going to change. And, and it's going to be a massive set of changes. Going well, forward. there's a there's a practical application to what you're describing too, right? It's it's pragmatic, right? In this case, people might misconstrue the regionalization, right, or localization of the supply chain as being somehow, you know, I'm pulling inward. In fact, it's it's not. It's just a practical application of creating resiliency with multiple paths of input. Right. From local to distributed, um, right. you know, that, that, that's all it's not don't you know, people shouldn't read into it much beyond that, because, you know, as much as, as, as we like to look at this and you talked about politics, but at least at least business wise, it's I don't want to say it's insulated from politics, but businesses make decisions based on profitability and practicality. Right. It's more right. objective in that sense. Right. Exactly. So they're they're thinking in terms of what is the real practical solution. Politics be damned you know, at that point. Um, I'm a multinational that services all these people all over the world. Well, I have to have local, regional, and then global answers to my supply chain. Um, that's a necessity and a practical um, implementation of, as you're describing, resiliency that needs to happen. Right. Yeah. And, and, and you know, a great example of that is, um, you know, a lot of people are saying, well, you know, we, we move too much to JIT, right? Mm-hmm. And, and therefore, is this the death of lean? You know, right. and I would say no. Right. Everything about lean is absolutely uh, consistent with what we need to be doing in our supply chains. Mm -hmm. When you have, you know, suppliers in China with 16-week lead times, 
guess what? That's not lean. Correct. Yep. Yep. (laughs) That's a lot of inventory in the system. Right. Lean is about visibility. It's about information sharing. Mm -hmm. It's about alignment. It's about relationship building. It's about communication. It's about, you know, uh, discovering quality problems when they occur. Mm -hmm. It's about flow. Right. I keep coming back to this idea of flow. How do we improve flow? Mm-hmm. How do we improve velocity of flow in supply chains? Mm-hmm. And that should be our guiding principle, not where the stuff is made or, or you know, if there's a tariff on it or not. Right. Um, let, me, let me ask a question on that one. Let me, let me double click on this one. And, and where's your mind on sustainability and environmental practices as it relates to that flow? And I'm actually thinking all the way in the terms of from natural resource consumption, uh, because we, you know, as I look at it, I think the number now is about 90 gigatons of raw materials are produced per year to, you know, feed the world, whatever you want to call that, right? Um, right. Half of that or 48% is for food. So let's just take that off the table. That leaves 52 gigatons of raw materials for feeding the supply chain. And that's your, your metals and minerals and whatever we're extracting out of the ground. Right. So, you know, when you start connecting those dots and creating that visibility, how does the circular economy feed into sustainability and become a part of the supply chain conversation? Because that will become apparent when you bring that transparency, as I'm describing it. You know, how do you think about that and that playing out now? Yeah, so there, there's a chapter in our last book, uh, the, the G in living is, is for good, right? Okay. Yeah. What we mean by good is just that, is, is doing things that are good for the environment, good for people working in our supply chains. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, good is good. You know what's mm-hmm. good and you know what isn't. Um, and if you're doing something that is, uh, you know, dumping effluent in the river or, right. um, you know, if you have extended supply chains, with ha- which has a much larger, you know, carbon footprint, um, then, you know, along those contacts of bringing things closer, more local, less transportation, using uh, materials, recycling materials, uh, using sustainable materials, all of that is good, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And, and not only is it good, but it's it's also um, you know it's also a context that I think a lot of people care about much more, right? Um, and I, I think that also applies, you know, the good concept also applies to uh, human rights in the supply chain. Yep. Um, global slavery is at a peak. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, forced labor, uh, indentured labor. Um, people are, are an expendable resource in, in mm-hmm. a lot of supply chains today, especially in, in like the apparel sector. Mm-hmm. And we did a project last year just talking about some horrific conditions in, in places like Bangladesh and mm-hmm. in India, right. uh, especially in the tier two invisible supply chains. Mm-hmm. So what we need to do, again, is drive that transparency and that visibility down to those tier two, tier three suppliers. Mm-hmm. And you can see, you know, yeah, the working conditions are, are not, not supportable. We're right. not going to support that. Right. We're not going to allow kids. Right. We're not going to allow migrants who can't read to work, you know, on contracts uh, that force them, you know, to work for three months without pay. Right. So, you know, those, those are the kinds of things that I think are absolutely aligned with, with what supply chain should be doing today. Right. Right. And, and just kind of taking a step, step, forward too, because there's, there's all of that, which is incredibly important and the transparency of the supply chain comes, you know, you, we begin to see that and people are going to make decisions based on that. One of the things, and I don't know if you have taken a look too, is the actual impact on business margins or profitability with embracing a robust disposition slash circular strategy, 
right? Because mm-hmm. if, you know, and, and, and the number I always you kind of throw out to people is, um, you know, for every capital asset dollar you spend, for everything you procure, right, you should aim to get 10 to 20% of your money back, unless it's turned into a product and sold, of course, right? Um, but if, if it's in the business and you use it, like in my former life running data centers, you know, we would use a server for three years and get rid of it. Well, that thing's got another 10 years of, of value to it, and it's worth a lot of money, right? So we would buy these Ferraris, you know, use them for three years, and then sell them at a 50% off list discount. Um, yet people weren't buying that quite yet. You know, I mean, in consumer land, buying used stuff is going up a lot. In fact, it's trendy right. <laughs> even to buy used. But, but used or circular or whatever still hasn't quite hit the enterprise yet. And I don't know if you've thought about that or your students are thinking about that or your programs are thinking about it. But I think there's a, there's, you know, it's good for the environment, yes. But even before that, it's good for your margins and profitability to embrace this stuff because um, right. you get a lot of money back out um, and you can actually drive a lot of costs down by using, you know, pre-owned or, you know, uh, recycled stuff in your supply chain in lieu of consuming raw materials. Right. And, you know, we, we did a, we, we've done a series of reports for the U.S. Department of Agriculture the last few years around the bio-based economy. And, you know, the bio-based economy is very much about using, um, you know, materials um, that are from uh, sustainable sources, you know, from, from soybeans, from, right. um, you know. Or hemp. Uh, or hemp or, yeah. you know, any, any number of different materials. It's a very, today it's a very small percentage of the overall economy. Right. And the biggest barrier is, is cost, right? Is, hmm. you know, it doesn't have the uh, economic infrastructure, um, you know, that, that the oil industry and, and mm. the chemicals industry does oh, using petroleum-based goods. Right, right. So, so bio-based is, is coming on, uh, but ultimately it has to be, it has to meet that cost threshold. It has to be, it has to have an, an economic impact or business is going to use it. Right, right. And, you know, I've, I've talked to so many startups and, you know, if they aren't, if they aren't cost equitable uh, and, and, and competitive in the market, they're not going to work. They're not, right. they're going to fail. People well, that's be more for it. Yeah. And that's, that's actually a great springboard into one of the things I also, so, so again, agreed. And when I said hemp, I was actually thinking more, uh, you know, hemp just as a material alternative for, uh, it has so many use cases, but you were talking right. actually about energy, right? Alternative energy biofuels, you know, that, right. uh, you know, whether it's, um, algae or soybean or, you know, that kind of area for sure. But now kind of segue a little bit into the technology innovation side of things. So from your vantage point as well, what are you seeing in the area of technology innovation kind of startups, you know, within supply chain, right? Because that's got to be way different from when you first started back in the 90s to where it is today. And even with the students that you're working with, I would imagine kind of how, how they're structuring their uh, case studies uh, output may have a much more entrepreneurial kind of, you know, uh, um, you know, wrapper to it these days versus say 10 years ago. What, what, what's going on with the, the innovation side? Well, I think with innovation, you know, what's happening is there's, there's a lot of uh, really interesting uh, platforms available now for doing analytics. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, you have a lot of tech people that are doing startups and, you know, a lot of them, we did a, a project for CAPS on, on procurement analytics and procurement technology. Mm-hmm. We counted like 200 different startups that are doing work on, on procurement. Wow. And they think, well, you know, I understand procurement can't be that simple. It's just about buying stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, it's more, there's more to it than that. Right. And, and obviously, um, you know, I think the, the platforms are allowing people to create some great 
you know, analytics tools and, and technologies and apps and everything else. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think what's lacking in to be a successful startup in that market, you have to really uh, address a need. You have mm-hmm. to do something that's that's new and novel. Uh, and, and that means you have to get out in the field and talk to people who are actually you know, doing this on a day-to-day basis. Totally. Um, I think one of the biggest areas where we need to innovate is, is government acquisition. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I spent a couple of years working with the general services administration and, you know, they, they cannot, the government cannot get visibility to how much money they're spending. Right. They can't. And, and it's incredible, but you know, if you can't track what you're spending and who you're spending it with and what you're spending it on and where that material is positioned, you know, it gets us back to that COVID problem. Yep. They don't have visibility, right. you know, and, and that's problematic. And, and the technology itself is not that expensive. Right. It's not that difficult, but it's what you do with it. And it's the application of that technology that's, that's going to really be key in, in driving innovation going forward. And how does that, let's, let's talk a little bit about the student kind of population you're running into. Like, how have they changed or how are they changing versus 10 years ago, five years ago to today? I mean, I imagine just the questions, the enthusiasm, even potentially even the enrollment rate, because certainly one of the things that the supply chain industry in, in going through or supply chain, what do you want to call it, horizontal industry, um, and I've heard this from multiple people, is it just, it needs an, in, an infusion of new thinking and new blood. I mean, it's really eager to have people come into and pursue supply chain as a career, right? And I, yeah. I you know, like you and I, myself. I mean, a lot of people I just talked to kind of fell into supply chain over the last you know, 20, <laughs> totally 30, 40 years, it. right? Like, I mean, I had, my, my God, my, my, my major was in international relations and economics. I had no, <laughs> in fact, I wasn't even pursuing supply chain, you know, or, you know, you kind of fell into it. I, I know most people have, but now you're having a, 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 a students coming for this program, right? And so I guess my first question, I would go to the data around enrollments, right? And just the, 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 the volume that's starting to happen. And then I would go into the qualitative aspect of the composition of the students and kind of who's coming in, what are they looking to do? What are they thinking about? And I would also imagine in today's world, there's a lot of innovation, entrepreneurial zeal within those students too, different than maybe five or 10 years ago. Yeah, no, I, absolutely. And, and, you know, NC State, you know, is, is fundamentally a, a technology school. Right. Um, you know, we have a lot of kids who come in thinking they want to do engineering and, you know, they kind of move over to business and they say, wow, this supply chain stuff is great because, you know, number one, you know, you're, you're dealing with people, you know, you're not just dealing, you know, with, with, you know, uh, a specification or a blueprint. Right. Um, and, and you're dealing with analytics and you're dealing with complicated problems. Um, and, and you're having to really solve problems. And, and that appeals to a lot of kids. I mean, it's become... Um, our biggest major in, in uh, the undergraduate level um, at, the, uh, at the MBA, we have a, a huge online MBA program. We get a, young, a lot of people who, who come to our MBA just because of that. Hmm. And, and, you know, we, we promote it uh, through our SCRC website. Mm-hmm. I write a lot of blogs, uh, have a lot of content. And, and people, you know, get attracted to it and they start reading and they thought, gosh, you know, this sounds like, this sounds like fun, right? This, right, right. This is an exciting career. And, you know, I think we're seeing more executives, uh, you know, that started in supply chain going uh, to senior leadership positions. Um, and uh, in general, you know, young people that, that I meet, um, they're, they're pumped. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they love working on a real world problem with real world data mm-hmm. uh, on, on, and dealing with, with executives who, you know, don't have all the answers. 
Right. And executives on their part love working with young people because it's, it's a different point of view. Yep. And, and these kids, man, they, they can, they can write code in R and Python. They can write an app. I mean, they're technologically, they're way ahead of where, you know, you and I ever were at that yep. age. Yep. Um, yep. But, but they, if we can feed them the right problems, they're going to come up with a lot of really cool and innovative solutions. Have, have you then gotten a sense of even your student population in the midst of the last couple months and how they're reacting to COVID? Like, what are their thoughts uh, when they look at this? You know? Well, you know, that, yeah, that's, it's been tough. A lot, a lot of kids have had, you know, had, especially the graduating seniors had jobs that, that were rescinded, you know, mm. because of COVID. Um, some of them have taken internships. Some of those internships are online now. I mean, mm-hmm. You know, my daughter is, is doing an online internship for the entire summer. She's going to be in front of her computer all summer. Wow. Um, you know, I think it's going to, it's going to shift things away. Um, and in the interim, people are saying, well, you know, do you have anything for me to work on? I'll work mm-hmm. for free this summer I, just so I can keep learning. And, you know, if I, I'm working with a company on a problem, maybe, you know, maybe they'll want to use me as a contractor or maybe to do something that way. Right. Um, but, but it's, it's a shock. You know, I, I feel really bad for kids who are, are graduating and, and trying to find a job. Um, it's, it's a rough environment right now, yeah. but I think, you know, for companies, it's also an opportunity to try to get, uh, some new talent, you know, uh, new people that, that can help with a lot of problems that they're facing. And, um, you know, a lot of companies don't have, may not be able to offer a full-time role, mm-hmm. but, but despite that, I think there's still opportunities to, offload all the, the problems and the work um, that they're facing now to, to some of these young, young uh, students that are graduating. For sure. And, and kind of last, last question on the sort of student mix, but, um, um, and it, it is, I mean, I think it's, it's, I mean, it's rough. I mean, you're going to see the bloodletting in the business community, I think is, we haven't begun to see what that's going to be like. I mean, it's, it's right. going to, it's going to be rough, especially in small to mid-sized businesses. You start looking at the numbers. I mean, it's, I mean, SMBs, I think in this U.S., I mean, if you remember, I don't know if you get the, off the top of my head, I think it's about 32 and a half million businesses in the U.S. I think it's like 99% of them classify as small to mid-sized business. Um, of those, you know, of the last 10 years, they've created like 80% of the jobs that are out there. And that's, who, you know, 60% of those are going to go away, right? right? I mean, it's, or whatever, it's a giant number. I mean, it's, and, and it's going to be, it's going to, the business is going to be rough totally but but what i was going to come back to is is the, the 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 actual curriculum you know given the fact that you've got now this 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 student mix that are you know not only technophiles but but you know articulate in as you said you know not only coding but you know the use of r and analytics platforms and i mean just things that like you and i weren't it didn't wasn't even available back then it didn't even matter if we wanted to have it, it just wasn't there um, but now it's just a part of them, right? They, they can do it like playing video games, right? They can just jump on and kind of do this stuff. How has that changed, if it has changed, the curriculum at all and how you shape that, whether it's now or kind of moving forward, right? Because, you know, to be supply chain, or I, 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 well, my guess is thinking about the supply chain professional of the future, they've got to be a lot more general business conversant because they're working with everybody. I mean, they're the business within the business. So in a way when you're the chief supply chain officer, you're actually running an independent business within the business. Um, And you got to think finance and sales and marketing and, you know, uh, cost uh, uh, containment and, you know, know, like I'm focusing on disposition and TCOs and all the other stuff that comes with it, but, and now technology and innovation, 
right? You, it's almost like you need to have your own CIO that's focused on the supply chain. So the question then comes back to the curriculum. How has that changed? How do you kind of, kind of, you know, expose the supply, these emerging supply chain leaders to what they need to be ready for? Because they're coming in and they're, 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 they're going to be looked at to answer a lot of things that the outgoing supply chain is like, hey, we don't even know how to do this stuff. <laughs> you guys figure it out. Right. So, so, and, and I think that's where, you know, that's where what makes our program especially unique is, is, you know, we have, uh, we have these projects and right. there, there are three credit projects. They last 15 weeks, the entire semester. And the class is the project. And, right. you know, the student is, is put into a, 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 a team environment. And, you know, for a lot of these kids, they've never been on a conference call. They've mm. never, you know, been to a meeting. They don't know how to do an agenda. But, but we, we pair them with uh, advisors, and these are uh, experienced uh, supply chain executives that have retired, mm-hmm. and they want to give back. And they're, mm-hmm. they're mentoring and teaching these kids, hey, here's how you got to prepare for a meeting. Here's right. the things you need to do, you know, if you're going to present, give them an update this week. And, right. and they, they hold these virtual meetings, and um, they're faced with difficult challenges and problems. You know, they're, these are real business problems. They're not made up. Mm-hmm. business problems. Mm-hmm. And so they, they have to come up with, uh, they're given a lot of data, again, a lot of lousy data in many mm-hmm. cases. Yep. So they're exposed to the reality of, of working with data, uh, making sense out of it, um, you know, making a recommendation based on data, uh, doing interviews, talking to different people, you know, doing the research. Uh, you know, we've got a great online library and resource and pulling all that information together um, in an industry they've never worked in on a project they have no they've never looked at before. Right. So so you know it's it's that kind of agility of of being faced with you know unknown uh, problems and projects and being able to put a coherent you know recommendation and outcome out of it. Uh, that's what's needed in today's supply chain. Um, mm-hmm. That's that's the kinds of things that these young people are com- are bringing to the table when they go out in the industry today. That's awesome. So it's, I mean, it's a real practical application of what is needed out there. I mean, that, I mean, you know, you're, you're basically like you just said, you're, 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 I mean, this is how we also approach even our development of our own uh, platform uh, in product management, product development is we're always searching for a practical use case, right? Cause we can sit there and think all sorts of deep thoughts around the way the technology is supposed to work, but you know, put it in the hands of someone who's going to use it or apply it to some sort of specific thing. You learn real quickly what that thing's supposed to do, right? So I imagine that's the same analogy then for these kids, right? They get to and and then of course the businesses are defining what their curriculum is. You know, so so by the very nature, they're already being primed for what businesses are looking for by working on what businesses are asking them to work on. Yeah, well, that's right. And and some of the problems, you know, are, are maybe ones that the business has never looked at before. Right. Um, right. You know, or it may involve something, you know, we're doing a, a category strategy and we need, you know, market intelligence, like what's going on out there in the industry? Mm-hmm. Um, you, know, you know, what's happening in terms of prices, in terms of capacity, in terms of risk? Um, and these are the kinds of questions that, you know, they're going to have to answer to um, and, and inform their executive bosses when they go out on the job. Right. And, um, you know, intelligence, market intelligence is, is the key to strategy. Yep. If you've got good intel, you can build a good strategy, and and uh, you know you've got to get, you've got to dig in, and it's 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 all over the place. The information right. is all over the place, so you right. have to learn how to be curious and look for the right information, you know, to help address that question. But it's there. It's there if you want to find it, right? I mean, that's one of the yeah. beautiful things about the internet, and it's being connected and continues to be connected. to Everything is the data is there. And oh, if yeah. it isn't, you can figure out how to get it there. 
um, yeah. but then make sense of it. Well, let me, let me look forward a little bit as we're kind of winding down here. Um, kind of coming out of this, I mean, are you, I mean, I know you've been super busy and getting busier in the midst of all this stuff, right? And that's both yeah, consulting and school and of- everything. A lot of COVID calls this. Yeah. I mean, how do you, how do you, how do you, I mean, just, just your thoughts kind of, you know, looking forward here, maybe through this year, maybe even the beginning of 2021, what do you, what do you think are the big couple things that, you know, supply chain, whether it's through the school or just the industry or the things that you're seeing are going to have to deal with? I mean, the obvious, of course, you know, that we've already highlighted, but anything, you know, kind of looking forward, like what do you, you know, what, put the prognostication in, what's the crystal ball got? Well, I, I think, you know, now's the time that businesses need to secure Uh, their relationships with supply chain partners. You know, they need to go out, communicate with them, find out their, their financial status um, and, and come up with creative ways to kind of preserve their supply chain partners. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, if we have a a recovery, that's great. But, you know, six months from now, if you decide to step on the gas and there's no suppliers there because they're, they went bankrupt, uh, you've got a real problem. So, So I think number one is, is, you know, sustaining our, our supply chain, you know, making sure that our partners are there. Um, but then also I think we're going to rethink work. Mm. You know, I think a lot of businesses are, uh, may not go back to people, you know, going to an office every day. Right. Um, they may realize, gosh, you know, people are very productive working uh, at home and, uh, you know, maybe we ought to just stick with this arrangement for a while. Mm-hmm. So I, I think, uh, you know, we may see, we may not see, uh, air travel research to the levels it was before. Mm-hmm. We may have more virtual meetings, more virtual mm-hmm. communication. Uh, and if that's the case, then we're going to need people more than ever to understand how to, how to process data and, and how, to, uh, how to collaborate virtually to, uh, to, to get outcomes and, and make that happen. That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. And let me, let me wrap up with this one question. So you mentioned it, but when's, when is the new book coming out and is there a title or what sort of, is it a work in progress or? It's, it's, uh, it's, I've got a first draft uh, done. It, it's called the physics of supply chain. So right. okay. you can look for that. It'll, it'll probably be out next year sometime. So. It sounds like you're mirroring, uh, at least from my point of view, two of my favorite subjects, which is science fiction and now supply chain, right? So <laughs> it could be a novel unto itself, right? I think it could be the physics of supply chain or supply chain immunity. It's really, yeah. It's cool. well, I love the supply chain immunity concept. I think that's really cool. Um, I mean, I love the analogies to also the evolution of the body, which is its own supply chain, right? When we look wow. at it and talk about one of the most advanced systems that we certainly don't even haven't even scratched the surface in understanding. Like we just don't know anything, you know, even in the midst of COVID, right? I mean, it's just like, you know, we kind of are guessing at a lot of this stuff. Um, But there's a lot of things you can look in, like you said, in nature that give us examples on, you know, how to kind of approach this stuff that we overlook oftentimes. You just got to step back and and take a look. So yeah, Yeah. that's, yeah. Well, we're looking forward to the book. Awesome. Really, thank you so much today. Kind of wind up there, but you know, it's just a great conversation. I know we're going to be having plenty more of these um, and it was just, it was just great. I really appreciate you taking the time. I really enjoyed the the conversation today, Richard. You have a, a great evening. 